Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. All right. Well, welcome to another week of the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're excited to be here today with Romney Williams. Uh, Romney is a startup junkie who has founded multiple small businesses, and he has partnered four different times as CEO with founders who wanted to focus on their own superpowers, didn't want to be the CEO. So welcome. We're glad to have you here. Honored to be here. Thanks a lot. Good friend and an amazing individual. So happy to have you here, Romney. Yep. Thanks a lot. And Romney is currently serving as the CEO for Absorbits. Yeah, Absorbus and then uh, Bone Dry. There's some. We have two uh, brands. Yeah. There's a, yeah, two brands. There's an affiliation there, and it's a Revered portfolio company. So we're excited to have you here. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Cool. Well, um, Romney, just to get us started, give us the 30 second pitch of uh, you know Absorbus slash Bone Dry and what you're trying to accomplish and the problem you're solving and what you're doing. Yeah. So Absorbus ex- exists to rescue things that shouldn't get wet. So we all have things that we own that we care about. Hard goods like electronics, a cell phone, AirPods, maybe it's firearms, musical instruments, and moisture is the villain, right? It ruins them. They're not made to be to get wet and stay wet. They can cause rust, cause damage. Uh, and Absorbits at our core, we're an advanced material company with a patented technology that will wick moisture out of or off of these hard goods when they get wet, like a moisture vacuum. Basically, it's funny because people say, oh, like a bowl of rice, we drop your phone in the water. Good luck with that. <laughs> I wouldn't trust a $1,200 iPhone and a, with a bowl of rice. You should eat the rice and use a, an absorbent product. Rice is for eating, not for drying, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you drop your phone, yep. it, you can put it in the... I thought it was just like... I have a couple of bags that I got from Rev Road events or whatever. Right. And I just have my handguns in my safe. Yep. And they're sitting in the, the absorbent bag so that they yep. don't rust and... Yeah. Right. But so you're, it works for like if you dropped your phone in water... Anything where water, again, can damage it, that's a hard good. Meaning if you go swimming and you have a wet towel and a wet swimsuit, textiles, apparel is like a sponge. So you need air or heat to dry those out, obviously. Yeah. But think about hard goods like, like we talked about. Your cell phone falls in water. It's crazy how many people say, I'll admit it, but I've dropped my phone in the toilet multiple times because I put it in my back pocket and stand up and it falls in. <laughs> that kind of stuff, Right. Remember, my family got in the shower listening to a podcast recently and started washing her hair and said, wait a minute, why can I hear his voice? Holy crap, I'm wearing my AirPod Pros and I'm in the shower. Put them in the pouch. We have an Absorbit's wet electronics rescue pouch, a little bit larger than a smartphone, and it literally wicked the dampness out of it and saved them. Saved them. It, it even works for key fobs. I had that happen to my key fob really? and it was great. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah. And it's rechargeable. So you just put it in the sun. And the water that's been sucked out, it just evaporates or a low heat hairdryer if it's wet outside. So it's indefinitely reusable. It's like a super absor- absorbent technology inside. Wow. Yeah. It's one of those things that really should become a household name because everyone could use one multiple times in a month probably. And it should be really close and handy and, and ready for when you have that moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like it's that it's everybody should have it in their utility drawer. Yeah. Every mom should have it in her bag. Or car, you or know. Or car, glove compartment, boat, yep. just so you're ready because it's not if but when it happens, you you want to be ready. Yeah, it's awesome. Great product. Boat. Yeah. Great like, product. Very cool. I can't tell you how many times people have jumped off the side of the boat and then come up and been like, mm, <laughs> I had my phone. Three phones I've lost that way. <laughs> I will <laughs> tell you. Yeah, it's before Absorbus. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. great. Um, yeah, it works. So uh, you're a startup junkie. I am. When in the journey did you realize that that was the case? Is this something that you realized early on in life or is it something that took longer in your career to realize? So it's interesting because the first time I found myself doing something entrepreneurial was when I was 11 years old. My dad does international law, travels a ton. And before you could buy Haribo gummy bears in the U.S., it was a really cool thing when he'd come up from Germany and he'd bring us this candy in the cola bottles, gummy bottles. And I remember having a boring summer afternoon with my friend. We were watching TV in our family room and I opened up the closet and there were, there was a box of Haribo gummy bears in little individually wrapped packets like you'd buy at Costco. And that was a unique thing back then. And 
I said, let's go make some money. So we went door to door selling these individual packets. <laughs> They're probably worth it. like 18 cents each. I think we sold them for a dollar each or two bucks. I realized in hindsight, I forgot to pay for the cost of goods sold, the inventory <laughs> that my dad bought. That's but good. I, I cashed in and no one <laughs> knew that they were removed from the closet because they were probably forgotten. So that was at a young age. Fast forward, when I was in college, I was bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. My dad had a client who had a product that treated, that extracted heat from a burn. And they were targeting the first aid kit world, which makes a lot of sense. Kitchens, hospitality environments, work, workplace burns. And I had a really bad sunburn on my back, uh, really bad. And my dad had a bottle. I put it on my back and thought, I'll do anything. I'm desperate. I really can't put a T-shirt on. It hurts so bad. And not exaggerating, within a handful, few minutes, maybe five minutes, I was lying on my back, rubbing back and forth on the carpet with no pain and thought, okay, this works. Wow. And I went to my dad and said, can I meet your client? I knew nothing. I was sophomore in college and just trying to earn some money, but something started brewing inside of me of if I can take a product and figure out how to make money with it and build something that's really of significance, it would be amazing. It was like this insatiable appetite. And long story short, that didn't go very well. I went to Hawaii, took some time off of school with my brother. We went door to door to businesses and turns out we couldn't license the rights to that product because I think we made him aware that there's an entirely different industry or channel where to sell it, like into retail. So that didn't work out, but it, it started... That was the, the birth of this journey of wanting to build something. Um, and it's gone on to this day, 30 years later. Wow. I just admitted I'm really old. <laughs> so we don't, we're cool. not doing the math. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. So what, um, from there, where, where did you go next? Because I know that most recently before Absorbance, you were CEO at Enzo Rings, which was a fantastic success yep, story. Premium silicone jewelry company, yep. And how did you get, how did you get to that point and, and then where you're at today? Yeah, to try to shorten a really long story, I was bitten by the entrepreneurial bug in college. I started baking a, a startup on the side uh, while at an undergrad in school. And that was my desire to launch that full time and ended up doing that. From that, by the way, I learned some of the challenges of partnership where when it's high fives and bro hugs of we're going to take on the world, we're going to take down Goliath, we're going to make a lot of money, whatever you think, everything's great and rosy until it's not. And so I learned a lot about setting up an understanding and a agreement before. I'm not saying just the legal side, but just clarity of roles, responsibilities, commitments, and, uh, and the partnership fell apart, so the business fell apart. And sadly, it was actually a cousin of mine. And I don't fault him. We had different perspectives. And um, so that was really hard. Was connected to a, an amazing person in Boston who had, was a professor at Harvard Business School who spun out with a boutique management development firm with some of his fellow professors. And they would parachute into Fortune 50 companies and do leadership development, management development, really interesting boutique, very intelligent work. And he needed just a right-hand person who's willing to do whatever. And I, for some reason, I was willing to do whatever and try to be a fast learner. So joined there. While I was applying to business school, which was my goal, hoping to go to a top MBA program and study entrepreneurship, I knew someone who was a whiz kid student at MIT. And we started talking about what he was doing. And I didn't understand it until he described it. This was before the days of, this is back in the film camera days, like for photography. You have a film camera, you take pictures, you get it processed at Walgreens or Costco or Walmart, right? Well, he started talking about digital imaging, digital cameras. This was in, um, in 1999, 2000. And he said, we want someone on the business side to figure out how to make some money. What's the strategy for go-to-market? Long story short, I met with the, him and his co-founders, three professors at MIT. They felt I had what they called the right stuff. And uh, although I didn't have technical background, and they, in essence had developed the world's best uh, technology for to produce a digital image out of light. Mm -hmm. So if you tear apart your iPhone, there's a lens, but underneath that is an image sensor. Mm -hmm. So they wanted someone on the business side, not as a CEO, but figure out. So basically I was in charge of marketing, business development, sales, PR, it was amazing. Fantastic. And you just learned to dance on the hot coals. You were yeah. on the cutting edge of this it new technology. It was bleeding edge, and yeah. these are some of the most humble, soft-spoken, 
kind, intelligent people I've ever known and worked with. It was amazing. So they taught me enough in whiteboard sessions to be able to meet with literally a Nokia or a Samsung about the future where the technology is going, pitch Kodak, hey, film is going away. You're not going to make money on processing, developing film you know, images or even digital images, partner with us on the future and you know where the puck is going on the ice. They taught me enough to be able to, to pitch that, but not so much that I could teach them how we did it. <laughs> so the IP. So it just, it started me on this track of joining founders that had this vision like a David versus Goliath. Some call it disruption. Some call it just taking on the world. And it was this theme of, hey, Romney, help us do that. Let's lock arms. So after that, I... What a cool spot to be in in that moment. I felt so lucky. It was That's just right great. place, right time. Yeah. It really was. I learned a ton. Again, you well, dance on the hot coals. I agree. I believe in that, of course. But um, I mean, it also takes a, a person with um, the right... I mean, preparation. Opportunity always follows preparation, right? And you were prepared and you were you were a very smart individual and capable. And I'm sure they saw that. Well, it's nice to say. I At least they knew that I was a really hard worker. And a fast learner, and I was teachable. And Important. Uh, yeah. So, how were those conversations with Kodak when you're like, "Hey, film's gonna die," and they're this giant that's like they own the world. Yeah, much, yeah. at that point. So simultaneously, in the same month, I met in person at the world headquarters for Kodak and Polaroid, which back in 2001, 2002, they were leading giants in the world right. in that in that category. And I remember in Polaroid, one guy saying, Romney, this is game changing. This could put us, take us from the behind to the front of the line, but no one gets it. And I fear our days are numbered. He was right. Wow. Kodak, very smart people, but it's, you know, when you, when you study Clayton Christensen, who coined the phrase disruption, disruptive technology, he talks about how sometimes you have to disrupt yourself, right? And the cash cow might need to get sacrificed or slaughtered because it's, it's half-life is short coming to an end. So what's next? And literally they just said over and over and over, yeah, why would we cannibalize our existing business, which is film processing and get into digital cameras? Ironically, they've some have credited them with being the inventors or the very early pioneers in digital cameras, but didn't take them to market and really produce them because it would have, killed their cash cow. Ironically, I met in Clayton, I mentioned Clayton Christensen. Hopefully a lot of your listeners, if they are not aware of him, they should definitely they look him up. They should be, yeah. Um, I'm an enormous Amazing. fan, by the way. If they, well, where do I start if I haven't read any of Clayton Christensen's stuff? Um, Competing Against Luck is one of the top books I would ever recommend, which this whole idea behind when someone buys a product or they engage with a service, they're hiring it to perform a job. So it's the jobs to be done lens. It's really, it's brilliant. Helps with strategy, messaging, product roadmap, and all that. But ironically, small world, Clayton Christensen was, I knew him through my church dealings in Boston, and our chairman knew him from their sons played on the same Little League baseball team in Belmont, Massachusetts. And when our chairman described what we were doing, his response was, sounds disruptive, interesting. Let's stay in touch. Well, we stayed in touch, and he ended up writing a Harvard Business School case study on our company. Oh, wow. Which is amazing. And I, cool. so I learned a ton, had a chance to present to the students, and it was really, it was, a, it was an honor. My CEO That's I, cool. We, we yeah. went. But I bring up Clayton because he came and did a day session with us on strategy. And it was interesting, by the way, because we wanted him, one of the world's smartest people on strategy, to tell us where to go. And he just said, oh, I don't have, I'm not the answer guy. I'm the question guy. Interesting. I believe you have the answers so inside you. Versus consultant. So I will ask questions that hopefully spark and prompt yeah. answers or discovery process. We arrive where you need to go. But here are some lenses through which I recommend you view these issues and these opportunities. I told him about my meetings with Kodak. He was on the board of directors of Kodak. And he said, Romney, I'm having the exact same discussions with them. I'm so sorry to hear that. He was very respectful. Amazing human being. And he said, unfortunately, their days are numbered. And I looked it up a couple of years ago, and I think they filed bankruptcy. It was like within seven years or eight years, almost to the date of that conversation, of my meeting with Kodak. Not that I was saying your days are numbered and I was prophetic, but you get the point. 
It was crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. So film was just film cameras were disrupted by digital cameras, which then were disrupted by cell phones, smartphones. Yeah. Which is amazing. Like constant disruption is always happening. I'm trying to remember my first digital camera and I feel like it was this, br- this big brick yeah. with this teeny little window and it was very pixelated <laughs> and you could hardly display. see. Yeah. yeah. And, um, we thought that was the coolest thing back then. Right. And yeah. you see how far it's come now and it's just amazing. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, disruption doesn't mean it's necessarily better. Like the, the quality went of, down was lower, yeah. but it enabled you to do more things. You could do more jobs with it. More mobile. And yeah. More accessible. mobile. You could email it. You could view it on a, on your computer screen. Yeah. Anyway. So fascinating. So my, my, yeah. So that was just a great opportunity. I learned a ton. I have crazy stories. I have funny stories and also learned, I don't always advocate for raising institutional funding as the, the only way that companies can do financing and grow. But in this case, it was really capital intensive. We were competing for every dollar we had as essentially the Intel inside digital camera. So it was B2B, right? We were OEM. We were doing deals with, in the automotive world, we did them with Daimler Chrysler for Mercedes. We did them with Volvo, uh, their component supplier. We did them with Fujifilm and Logitech, Panasonic. It was really cool. So no one knew us like as a consumer brand. We were the guts inside. But the value of smart money, we raised our Series C with, uh, at the time, the largest private equity firm in the world was the Carlyle Group. Now I think Blackstone's bigger. But they had something like $60 billion under management in the early 2000s. These guys were pretty amazing. Wow. And the power of smart money and the doors they opened was mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Pivotal at that point. It was game-changing because we were a nobody. Best technology, but best technology doesn't always win. So they made sure we had a chance, a true shot, even though we were small, where they could say, hey, we're behind these guys. We'll vouch for them. And they're going to be around in five years if you place a bet on a design win for an automobile that's three, four, five years out. We're behind them. Remember that they're not just any old startup. How did that play out then after you got their backing? and It was that- good. It was still very capital intensive. And we had world-changing, game-changing technology. It was the best by many standards. But when you compete and you awake sleeping giants that have a thousand products, they can drop their price and try to bleed the smaller players who might have one or two products, but better technology. And that in essence is what happened, unfortunately. So we, rather than going really, really big, playing the long game, we had an opportunity to exit and sold to a big public company in the Bay Area. And so there, there was liquidity, but it wasn't, you know, David slays Goliath and now is the new Goliath. Interesting. Great story. Okay, so you've done this a few times. We we always like to hear uh, stories, and the listeners like to hear stories yeah. as well. So if if you had to pick one crazy story or, like, a funny story or, like, the story that sticks out from your career, what would it be? Oh, I have so many, and I should have come prepared with one that was just this absolutely mind-blowing. It would probably be, gosh, I apologize. No, it's okay. And, and there it, so it many can be stories. from, you know, most recent to maybe your time at Enzo or, you know, back when you were destroying Kodak one, <laughs> one camera at a time. <laughs> maybe I'll take a different angle that people won't necessarily think about on the journey. It's just trying to enjoy the journey. A lot of times the focus for an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur is it's all about the end game. It's the exit. And that's when I'll be happy. That's when I'll really find joy. It's super stressful, as you know, to be an entrepreneur. And first of all, hopefully you're very mission driven. You're very purposeful in what your why. And, and if you do well, there will be financial rewards, but that shouldn't be the driver. And I've met a lot of people along the way and I've probably been guilty at different phases of losing sight of this as well. As well, I won't name names, but I was meeting with someone in uh, New York City, really high, really high profile, very high powered person, and we were in her office in New York. And the person I was with said we were working on a really interesting, really big deal. It would have put us on a global stage in one of the companies that I was with. And 
the guy I was with said, wow, look at that through the window behind her desk. That would be amazing if your view every day at work was the Empire State Building. That would be awesome. Look at that. How many people can say that? And she went, huh? And he said, your view, Empire State Building. And she turned around and looked at it and was quiet for like three seconds and looked back at him and said, huh. I've been in this office for like five years and never even seen it, never noticed it. Wow. Which is so interesting. I think it says a lot about amazing person, amazing, amazing woman, great, great business leader, but just along the way, notice things, embrace relationships, um, and yeah, again, find joy and beauty in, in what you're doing along the way. That's cool. Yeah, I think it's so easy to just get caught up in the day-to-day that you forget to, you know. Focus, blinders on, yeah. go, 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 yeah. And my dad taught me that. He does international law, so not on the business side, but he travels a lot, and he always says, I make sure I eat really good meals, when I have the opportunity to, or at least stop if I'm in Paris, eat a pastry. If I'm in Rome, have gelato. But may, build in a little bit extra time where you can actually like be a tourist and take it in and feel like you're, like you're a part of it. And by the way, I've found that a lot of people breaking bread with people, like the cultural side, and not even talking business, it will always evolve into business. But just getting to know them as humans is, is extremely important because people like working with people that they like seems like that's even more true. I mean, it's true in our culture here, but in international cultures, that's even more true. Like oftentimes they want to do that several times before they even have a discussion about yeah. business, right? Absolutely. Interesting. Romney, you've been CEO of several companies, right? And, and I don't know if we've ever asked this question, but it's coming to my mind, so I'm going to ask it, right? What do you feel is your brand as CEO or your leadership style that you bring to the table when you're called as, as CEO? I'd like to think that I'm a servant leader. I aspire to be a servant leader. That means a lot of different people, a lot of, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To me, it's that I have the good of the company and our mission in mind in the decisions I make, in the effort I give, in the stewardship I have over the cash we have in the bank, the partnerships we have, our employees and their well-being, uh, shareholder value. I will say where I've struggled at times through that lens of being a servant leader is sometimes it's easy to avoid confrontation and to have really hard conversations with someone, whether it's addressing bad behavior or poor performance, letting them get away with things that actually could bring into question your, my leadership. And so I, a true servant leader I've learned is willing to have hard conversations because if I truly have what's best for the company in mind, it's not about me or necessarily worrying about, am I going to hurt this person's feelings? I actually might do more disservice by not addressing the issue and uh, disservice for the, to the company and to that person. That's a really good point. No, that's a really good point. Mike. And in entrepreneurship, you wear a ton of hats. Yeah. And I think that that's also part of, part of that. But then hopefully not having a hero complex and be willing to let go and actually be eager to let go and bring in an expert, which is back to that concept from good to great Jim Collins, the right people in the right seats on the bus. Once you can afford over time to bring in right talent is bring in the expert. Because I, I heard a long time ago, usually a company as it grows from startup to bigger, the area where it ends up being the weakest is the area of the greatest strength for the CEO or the founder. So if the founder or the CEO is a marketer at heart, will that person let go and let the director of marketing or VP of marketing really do her job or his job? Or is he always in the, always meddling? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That is fascinating. <laughs> you see that a lot actually. Okay. I mean, Sid mentioned that too. Yeah, she did. Um, right. I have a random question. This one, yeah, I've never come it. up before for sure. Um, but I'm thinking about the the founder CEO role, the people that want to keep that CEO role. Um, obviously, you've been in that seat uh, multiple times. Um, so what advice do you have for that founder that wants to stay in the CEO role as the company grows? 
So I like to draw from insights from people that are way smarter than I am. And I would recommend that any founder, if there's any ever a moment of, am I the right person truly in, in, in my heart of hearts, am I the right person to lead and grow this company as CEO? Should I remain that person or bring in someone to play that role? And I remain involved in a different capacity is to read the book rocket fuel by Gino Wickman. Some people have heard of EOS. It's the entrepreneur operating system. Well, Gino Wickman, the book that comes before that in his series of books is called Rocket Fuel. And the whole basis for it is a lot of entrepreneurs, when they look in the mirror and ask themselves, is my superpower aligned with the CEO role and what this company truly needs from a leadership growth strategy execution standpoint, are they aligned? Is Rocket Fuel take the entrepreneur through a, the founder through a series of questions and really do some self-evaluation, which hopefully is real is really intellectually honest. And I think that's powerful. Even if you take yeah. a step back and just say, have the introspection to ask that question of, am I the right person to take this company where the company will go? And then be willing to listen to the honest feedback. You yeah. Know, and then that. do that step. But even having that introspection of being like, am yeah. I the right person to take it? You know, because I think a lot of people just, they just do it. Like it's, it's tough. Yeah. I think it's tough. That's a moment where you're like, Oh, yeah. listening to your gut. Right. And Man. trying to figure that out. I, I would guess eight out of 10, nine out of 10 people in general, self doubt and question one, because they might lack confidence. But on the other hand, it might be because they're humble and they don't know if they have what it takes for any job for someone who comes out of an accounting program in college and starts an accounting job at a big six firm. She's going to ask, do I have what it takes? And for sure she does most of the time, but she's going to doubt that there's this concept of flying without a trapeze, which is if you want to go further and higher in your career and you're on your, the first trapeze, you've got to let go or sorry, flying without a net, excuse me, you're on a trapeze You've got to be able to reach out and up for the next trapeze as it comes. There's not a net that will catch you. But if you don't reach and grab for that next trapeze and go higher and farther, you're, you'll be stuck in the same place. So I think for the founder, that's it's a tough self-assessment. And we all have self-doubt. And that voice in our head can really beat us up and knock us down. And I've found that even founders I've worked with or who I've advised there's always that doubt when you talk in the vault, most people doubt. And so I think that that book is a good assessment and to determine maybe what you also see in companies is founders will bring in someone who's more seasoned, more veteran, who's been around the block a few times and has some wisdom for their pain. And then later the founder and the founder jumps back in and takes over as CEO because it's gone to the next phase where the founder realizes actually have the confidence. And now there are systems and processes and operations in place where I think I can get back in because it needs that vision that only the founder can provide. So, but that book, Gino, the, the author, he describes, he has to, he has a title for the founder is a visionary and that's needed. It's at the core of the soul of the company, the vision, it, it's his or her baby or the founders plural. But then the question is, do you bring on what, Wickman calls is the integrator. It's typically a CEO, a COO, a president who essentially is responsible for that day to day and, but has to be in the driver's seat. There's only one driver. There's only one steering wheel. No other hands can be on that steering wheel, but there's that close interaction to align visionary and integrator. It's a good exercise. And so that's the role I've had the chance to play four times. So my role at Absorbits is the fourth time where a founder or founders have said, hey, Romney, we are superpowers in other areas. We want to bring in that integrator. Mm. I what, love that distinction. I don't know yeah. that I've ever heard that before. Yeah, I again, I'll, I credit. It's what I've been doing without knowing that there are terms in a book. Yeah. So I learned that just recently. Seems like there's, and, and I'm not going to remember this, but it seems like there's a book out there that talks about how you have to have those two parts, right? That visionary and then that executor, right? Yeah. And without one or the other, it's going to be really hard to get the company off the ground. Might have been Jim Collins or I can't remember who it was, but yeah, it's fantastic. Love that. Yeah. 
what's so what's next for absorbits what are the big things you're working on what's exciting so absorbits really has it's a company that has legs it really does when you think about the pain point of rescuing things that shouldn't get wet it's a really huge addressable market the challenge that any entrepreneur has or any startup or even really big enterprise billion dollar company is where do you focus so i love how steve jobs would always say you know, people credit Apple for being amazing for the things that we've done, the products that we've released, but I'm just as proud of the things that we said no to, things we didn't do. So there's that, you have to be really deliberate and intentional in, in figuring out what you are going to go after and as importantly, what you are not going to go after. You can't chase 20 rabbits and catch one simultaneously. So our future, I feel strongly about, and we'll learn as we go, we'll iterate and evolve as needed, but at our core, I, I continue to emphasize we're an advanced material company. And just what, what Gore-Tex is in the world of water-repellent fabric, and they sell it to the North Faces, right, the Columbias of the world, we want to be that, the Gore-Tex in the world of moisture-wicking material. And so we're in dialogue right now with, in multiple industries, with companies that see that value of, wow, if we had a case, a pouch, a bag that could wick moisture out of our products or our customers' products, that would be game-changing. Camera gear bag companies, military. Think of DOD and military and all the equipment they have where water is the villain, right? Not True. just guns and ammunition, but telecommunications equipment. There's a ton of it. And then you have hearing aids. When those get wet, right? They cost $5,000 on average for a pair of hearing aids. So we have d designed a, a little clamshell uh, with our absorbance material inside that would wick the moisture out of hearing aids. You look at electronics, of course, we've talked about musical instruments. Water can be the villain, right? can warp an expensive guitar. It can cause rust in a trumpet. So again, I would rather be the Gore-Tex than the company that develops and sells to consumers all these finished goods. We'd rather partner with these companies and help them do it with the material, oh, which so. is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's business to business is how we would do it. And, and with an ingredient brand strategy like Gore-Tex, like Intel Inside, where we want to be known as the go-to solution for moisture wicking. Uh, so you'd have, let's say, if uh, Canon or Nikon or someone comes out with a camera gear bag that's engineered with Absorbit's material, that it would have, of course, their logo on it, but also absorb it. It's kind of like the Intel inside. So that's the that's the long-term play. We do have consumer products. You mentioned two brands. Absorbits is the material. But we do have a product that you have, you mentioned, Jake, that it's the wet electronics rescue pouch. It's a little bigger than a smartphone. We have a larger tablet-sized one. And we're currently developing content to actually really go to market with that and sell that to consumers. It should be in every household. Numerous times over, right? Um, so really excited about that. Then there's bone dry. So bone dry is this really interesting opportunity for us where when you think what are valuable possessions or, or expensive possessions where water is the villain, a really big category is firearms and ammo. And, you know, regardless of how you feel about the, on the topic of firearms, it's a politically charged topic in this country, understandably. Um, there are 450 million some odd firearms in America. And whenever there's moisture inside a firearm, it will rust unless it's fully dried and cleaned out. So we have moisture wicking rust prevention gun cases. So it's a brand that we've developed and we sell rust prevention gun cases through retailers like uh, here in Utah, there's Shields in different parts of the country. And we have uh, several dealers selling those and then we're selling them on our website. So that's bone dry, it's bone dash DRI. And the reason why we did a different brand there is that's just such a unique category, a big one, but a unique one that we thought we would just separate those. So there's not that confusion. And if someone who's not as comfortable about guns would still be okay having a electronics rescue pouch smart. under the brand Absorbits. Yeah. Yeah. That was a smart move. I remember when you were doing that, that was a hard decision to make, but I think, yeah. and the, yeah. I know that it was uh, emotionally charged, you know, with some of the founders and things, but I think that was the right move. We hope so. We Very hope we we'll look cool. back and look good about it. So is the pivot to B2B a new pivot for you guys? Or is that something that's been in the works for a while? 
Yeah, I'd say, so I've been involved for 18 months. The founder, Elliot Harris, he invented the material in response to a problem he had when he was washing his fishing boat and he washed his phone accidentally, raced to Best Buy, asked the staff there, do you have anything that will pull the moisture out of my phone? It's, it's all wonky. It's going to die. And they said, no, we don't sell anything. But, you know, sometimes when you put wet phones on a bowl of rice, it, it, it helps. So he went home, he did it. It didn't work. It made it worse, actually, because not only did the water not get pulled out, but a grain of rice got stuck in the charging port on the bottom. Yep. Turns out they're the same size, and so he couldn't charge it. Two days later, phone died. Two days later, he was lamenting his phone, 1200 bucks, wearing an Under Armour moisture-wicking nylon T-shirt, eating a bag of beef jerky. His fingers got to the end of the bag, on the bag, and he felt the little silica gel packet says, do not eat, the desiccant that keeps it dry. And had this aha moment of, wow, what if I could marry these two materials together, create a pouch made of a material sandwich, a moisture nylon with desiccant or silica gel packets in the middle, would it have saved my phone? He went mad scientist, 11 months later, patented that pouch. Turns out the patent is very, very broad. It's for any bag or pouch with an enclosure of any kind, zipper, Velcro, whatever. And then we have a another patent in the works that takes it even broader, more broadly. So we're really excited about that. So he started five years ago, again, to solve his own problem of a wet phone. And there are a lot of opportunities. When I joined, this isn't about me and my journey. This is me partnering with the founder um, and our investors on our board. And we're of the strong opinion that the bigger opportunity to really fulfill our mission of rescuing things that shouldn't get wet, it's that B2B play. Yeah. And you know that we're okay carrying inventory. And obviously you, right, Central Bank helps a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of companies finance their inventory. You play a huge role in that. And we all consume products every single day. But we think to go far and wide as a company, it's about the, the OEM, the B2B Yeah, I think that's really smart. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I am. Um, as I've seen this journey kind of from the sidelines at Rev Road, yeah. right? Yep. It's just been fun to see, you know, um, Absorbits, you know, when they came in and we did some rebranding and some fun things that way with, you know, marketing and website yeah. development. And then and then the addition of Romney to the team and, you know, the rebrand to kind of separate the products out, which there's a lot of good reasons to do that. And and now the growth that's, that's poised to happen, it's just, it's fun to see it just, just, taking off, you know, and, and, um, I, I, uh, I mean, there's so many, <laughs> it's fun because as from the outside looking in, you see the progress that happens, but there's so many things behind the scenes, right? Yeah. <laughs> no conversations and those tough conversations too. And, and, you know, inventory and supply and challenges and development. And, um, as you've gone through this journey, maybe with just bone dry, um, absorb it. Excuse me, Romney. What, what would you say is your moment where, where you felt like, Oh man, I am a true midnight founder. I'm <laughs> in the middle of the night. I'm working on this thing. I can't get it solved or something. What do you have a moment like that, that you can share? So I want to be mindful that in many chapters of my story, my journey, I haven't been the founder I have, but I think this applies to the founder or if the founder of founders bring in someone Mm -hmm. in a role, the integrator role, to go back to that concept of rocket fuel, is that passion and fire needs to burn like nothing other inside. And by the way, I was just reviewing some notes from the mental performance coach for uh, Serena and Venus Williams and Michael Johnson, the Olympic sprinter years ago, Russell Wilson, a guy named Trevor Moad, who I met at a conference, uh, amazing guy. Sadly, he passed of cancer over a year ago, which is really, really sad. Mm. But he cited a study that said of the most successful people in multiple fields, it was like a Forbes or Fortune survey, found that of the 15 top attributes of the most successful people, regardless of industry or field, number 12 out of 15 was education, where they got their degree or where they studied or what they studied. Um, number two was attitude. And number one, strongest determinant for success is uh, their, their ability to interact with people, how well they interact with people. But back to number two, attitude, which I would attribute to also 
pair that with grit and drive, like I've got to figure this out. It was early on when I joined that MIT spinoff in the digital camera world when we realized we've caught a tiger by its tail, but it's going to take almost 24-7 work ethic. It was literally, I remember talking with the chairman, who's just an amazing guy. We're still in, in touch. And we won best of CES at CES, best of show for our category. We beat out Sony, Canon, Kodak. It was amazing. We were, I was this. I joined us employee number six. There were six employees, and we added number seven like that week <laughs> while we were at CES. Cool. Yeah, an MIT grad joined the team, and it was wow. We are on the map, and we were on CNN and USA Today, and it was amazing. And I remember a conversation. This is not a bragging moment, but you asked, you know, that midnight founder, uh-huh. the chairman we were talking about what my priorities are after CES now that we've won best of CES. And I just said, so I'm learning this PR role and I got some good advice from the head of PR at Motorola, which at the time was a major player in the cell phone world. And I need to write a press release about this award so we can really milk it, uh, leverage it. And he was really humble and said, well, we're MIT guys. We don't pound our chest and say, look how smart and good we are. We just, we don't talk, we just act. And I said, I love that. But, and there's a lot, to, and he said, there's a lot to do. I'm not sure, do you have time to write a press release and do PR stuff? I remember my answer was, Charlie, this is, this is going to be me tonight between 10 and midnight on my couch, on my laptop, writing this and maybe midnight to two, but it needs to be done. And this is, this wave, we've got to leverage this wave. And it was just, it's just what you do, right? You just don't stop. So sorry, it was a long story, but it was one of those moments. And so since then, there's no, there's no clock. You don't check in, punch, you know, punch a time clock in entrepreneurship. And I'm of the opinion, I used to strive for work-life balance. I don't know who gets credit for the concept, but I heard from someone, it's more about work-life harmony, where you have different I have what I believe, at least in my heart, non-negotiable priorities or rocks I put in my jar every day when I plan. And my family is very important. My faith is very important, serving other people. And so is my, my work as a labor of love. And there are times where 80% of my focus and my time needs to be related to entrepreneurship. It just happens like you have a trade show coming up or you're doing a, an equity raise. It's just all hands on deck. It's all you really focus on. You stop to eat, obviously, but you get the idea. Other times I've had uh, children who struggled with mental uh, health challenges and it was, hey, guys, you might not hear from me this week because one of my children really needs me. And I, to be totally honest, I cannot even focus on work right now. Nothing else really matters right now. And so just finding that harmony of where my parties need to be, that's, that's where they are. But obviously making sure that people who, to whom I've committed know that I'm still committed, even if I'm not able to be there all the time. I really think that's, that's fascinating. I've never heard it explained that way. Because uh, you can tell, like, you're juggling things all the time, yeah. right? You're always juggling. And uh, you know when it's not in harmony. Like you can feel it. Like your yeah. life just feels chaotic. And, and so, you know, it's not even at those times where you're the busiest. It's just something's off. It's not distributed correctly. The weight's off or whatever, or you got too many things juggling all at the same time. Yeah. man, harmony. I like that a lot more than work-life balance. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And, and, Maybe one of those areas needs most of the attention, right? But not all, right? I don't discard my faith and my daily activities to build and grow my faith, just because I'm really busy with work. Yeah, right. So it's not like oh that can be sacrificed, but you get the point. It's just yeah. where you really need to be focused. Yeah, I like that harmony a lot. Yeah, it's good. Well, um, what advice would you have for our listeners, Romney, of the things that you've done? Um, what, what, what would you say? Do this or don't do that. A few things come to mind. Okay. 
and I'm just drawing from what people have taught me. I hope I can pay it forward. Of course. Uh, in no particular order, but probably first actually, is make sure that there's a mission at the heart of what you do, that there's a purpose. And that's up to you as the listener to determine what that is and why. But what is your why as, an, as a founder or as a leader in a company or a functional owner or even someone who's young and just aspires to be an entrepreneur, but today I've got a job and I need, like, what's your why? It's really, really important. And then you can build a company around, uh, around that why or a broader mission that really rallies and unites great people that want to join and be part of something that's bigger than just making money, fulfilling a service, doing a product, right? So that's really important. I've, you see companies that move mountains because of that. Even here locally, we have several that do that. And so Rings is a give back company. Mission is be a force for good. And a, do, a portion of every sale is donated to great causes that, that we believe are a force for good. Cotopaxi obviously do good and they're doing a ton of good. So that's one of many examples. Sorry if I'm leaving out several. The second is in entrepreneurship, if someone has a life partner or a spouse, I always ask this question and it's unexpected when like, Ronnie, what advice do you have for me? It's if you have someone in your life and you're committed, mutually committed, make sure before you start on the journey as a founder or an entrepreneur that your partner is on board before and have hard discussions. What if I don't come home for two days because I'm at the office? Like extreme stuff. What if we're living off credit cards to pay bills? Macaroni and cheese. What if it's mac and cheese? <laughs> like, I mean, literally had those conversations. And then at what point do we pull the ripcord? Or do we say enough is enough? I'm not taking my family or my spouse over the cliff because I went from hardcore, diehard, never say quit entrepreneur that actually went too far and we went over the edge. So that's really important. Be aligned. Because in my opinion, if you're committed to that person, that relationship is far more important than chasing your dream at all costs. That's for sure. Never sacrifice your morals, your moral compass. Never, ever. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And found your company on values that are immovable and you would live them as a human, and as a company, even if it meant failing as a company. So be immovable in your, in your values and your moral compass. Work with people if you have the opportunity that you really love working with and you trust them. Ethically is a non-negotiable. You have to trust them ethically. But do you trust that they'll pull their weight and do they trust you that you'll pull, you'll pull the weight? And then the one last thing, there's a venture capitalist and I had an opportunity to lead a company in, uh, in Colorado and there's a VC in Boulder, Colorado. His name is Brad Feld. And I haven't read it for years, but he had a blog called Feld, F-E-L-D, Feld Thoughts. And I don't know if he's still blogging. I assume he is. He's a really intelligent, really experienced guy. And he actually wrote a blog post about the concept of founder vesting. Not employee vesting, but founder vesting. Three people get together. They're going to change the world. They're going to make a ton of money together. They've got an idea. And they split it in thirds. Well, what happens if a year down the road someone's life circumstances change and you can no longer work for free. You have a, you have a family, you have financial obligations, you're pulled in that direction. You got to get a job or I don't like to use a, say someone gets hit by a bus. I'd rather be positive and say someone wins a lottery. They buy a private Island or they move to Maui and it's, but the guy or the gal, she has a third of the company and she's no longer involved. That's resentment and that's not fair. So he introduced a concept of, equity vesting where you might each start with, let's say it's thirds or three of them. They each get 10%, but based on every month or quarter involved in the business, you actually vest to get your equal share after that full vesting period, mm. which I thought is brilliant. I've seen a lot of, a lot of relationships ruined and companies strained because from the beginning they assume we'll all pull our weight or we'll all be this, we'll remain in the right seat, you know, the same seat on the bus five yeah. years out. Yeah, that's one of those values that we employ heavily at RevRoad, making sure that everyone vests, right? So it keeps everything equal or at least is, um, you know, on the, on the same playing field as much as possible. It's awesome. great, great value, great principle. Well, um, how, do the how do people reach out to you? Yeah. How do they find the company? Yeah. yeah, I think for me personally, the best way is probably LinkedIn. I 
I've been so busy with Absorbits. Last year and a half, I haven't posted much, but I do get on and follow things. And I, it's just such a great environment and tool for learning and connecting. So reach out to me, at Romney Williams, like the last name Romney. I, I'm the guy with two last names, Romney Williams. <laughs> Look me up on LinkedIn. To my knowledge, I'm the only one with that name on LinkedIn. Yeah, I don't think I've seen anyone else with that name. <laughs> yep. And um, there is a supermodel who's now probably in her 60s, whose name is Romney Williams, it turns <laughs> out. There's another story there. Of okay. like, I was recruited by Harvard Business School because they must have thought I was the daughter of Romney Williams, um, which is interesting. But anyway, turns Romney out. Romney Williams <laughs> naming her son Romney Williams. I'm not quite <laughs> Or her daughter. That. I don't know. Like okay. it was anyway, kind of interesting. but um, That's interesting. Yeah, that's fine. But uh, yeah, that's a good way to find me. Absorbits, we're just getting started. Instagram, we have no posts yet. It's, I know we'll get there. But that's Absorbits, like absorb, A-B-S-O-R-B-I-T-S.com. You can purchase the pouches. It's a great product. All of our products have a lifetime warranty. Bone Dry, as I mentioned, is bone-dri.com. So, yeah, great companies, awesome product, works as advertised. and They make great gifts for anyone. They are awesome I mean, gifts. it's like yeah. if, you, if you have that person in your life that you're like, I do not know what to buy them, yeah. this makes anyone happy. We had a customer that actually wrote a review that said, unsolicited said, Something like, I bought 20 of these and gave them away to my family members and said, stick this with a magnet on your fridge because you never know when something's going to get wet. But people like being, feeling good that gave a great gift and they're kind of a hero. So Yeah, that's great. Okay, so at the end of every episode, we usually ask this question and and you've shared a ton of advice and and had a lot of things, but um, the floor is yours. If there's anything that we didn't cover or that didn't get discussed that you wanted to touch on... uh, Take it away. And if if you touched on everything, great. Uh, So, but the floor is yours. I appreciate it. I probably just share, I would assume if people listening to this podcast, they're in learning mode. I would just encourage everybody to be a lifelong learner. And you might say, oh, I didn't get a Stanford MBA or I didn't go to such and such school. Just learn. You're always learning, always be in learning mode, be teachable and draw on the the failures and successes of other people so listen to podcasts find your favorites where you really do connect and then also network with people being in a mastermind group with people who are your peers who are experiencing similar challenges and make sure your conversations are in the vault so they're kept confidential you can be really vulnerable and real and raw and it's different than a conversation you would have with a board member this is really vulnerable and really raw and I'm not keeping secrets from you at Rev Road, but you get the point. Like there are moments of, oh, this is hard and really scary. I need someone to talk to. Right. So be a lifelong learner and uh and then pay it forward. Pay it forward. I hope something I've said today is helpful. I've learned a ton from other people and the things that I I read and so that would be my my number one thing. That's awesome. Well I've really enjoyed the conversation we've had. I think you've shared tons oh, thanks. of great Same. advice. I hope it was Thank you. Yeah. yeah, lots of words of wisdom in this episode. So appreciate you joining us, Romney. Good luck with thanks everything at Absorbits. This is AJ and Jake signing out. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by C B Vault and Rev Road. C B Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And RevRoad is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.